Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Come and grab your seats, guys. And uh, while you're doing that, why don't you join me in blessing and praying for Steph this morning? Um, I know that Steph just doesn't come and do a preach. <laughs> she really thinks about what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. And that's a special thing. And so we should honor her and we should pray for her, yeah? So let's do that. Father, I thank you for Steph's heart. I thank you that she is faithful to hearing from your voice, Father. And so, Lord, in that, I pray this morning that by your Spirit, you will fill her, fill her up, Lord. That the words that you have given her this week, that you just give her the strength to impart them um, in all truth, Lord. That they would rest with us in the way that you want them to rest on us, Father. That we would indeed be challenged and encouraged to follow the way of Jesus this morning through what Steph brings. So, Father, yeah, um, be with us this morning. Fill us up with your wisdom and your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I just remembered that you probably don't know what goes on as SLT, but we meet every two weeks, and we usually meet in the building. And we were meeting on Tuesday night, and Steve came in with me, and he got to go and have a pizza and a pint with someone, which, you know... <laughs> It's pretty cool. Uh, and we did our thing. But we were, he met me later and we were driving home and he said, um, now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> but he said, Steph, I saw something tonight that I don't know that everybody gets. And I said, oh, what was it? And he said, I dropped you off at the building and I watched Dan Saunders walk across the road with a big jerry can full of diesel. And, and he went into the building and then he went back and he brought the second one. And he said, I, I just, I was walking away to meet a friend and have a pint. And I thought, what kind of world is it that ought to quarter to seven on Tuesday night when you've got kids at home and you've been doing stuff all day? You walk down here and you spend your evening filling pots so that people on Sunday are warm. And I said, the only way that makes sense is when you think Jesus is really worth it. And I suppose I wanted to honor you, Dan, because it got Stephen emotional and it got me emotional because I thought those are all the little moments of acts of service and deep, deep love that are, that are because of a love of Jesus and because we think Jesus is worth it. And so I just wanted to give Dan a shout out for that because in all honesty, I was so busy chatting to Dave and giggling about stuff that I didn't notice him and Jerry Cans, so I needed my husband to help me. Um, so thank you, Dan. Okay, this morning, um, the passage that I'm, the, the encounter with Jesus I want to speak on is the rich young ruler. And it feels like I set it up a little bit last week when I talked about Jesus feeding what I called the 18,000, because it wasn't just 5,000 men, it was women and children. And so what I think 
I hope you took from it, we talked about the scarcity mindset and the abundant theology of the kingdom, and I want to revisit that again today. But I think that the true miracle, and it will come up behind me, the true miracle of the feeding of the 18,000 was not that Jesus provided for them. The true miracle was that there is an invitation for us to participate in the redemptive work of the kingdom in the world. That is the real miracle, and that is the one that I get excited about and feel privileged to be a part of. So, again, I want to just reference this quote. We must confess that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, a belief that makes us, makes me, greedy, mean, and unneighborly. We spend our lives trying to sort out that ambiguity. And I want to just think about that mindset stuff again this morning. I also mentioned last week about tithing, that we believe in tithing and giving 10% to the work of God in, this, in your faith community. And I suppose... We, had, uh, we spent yesterday morning with some friends and we were talking. One of the many things we went over was this building and the opportunities and how much it'll cost and da-da-da. And I said, oh, I'm not worried about the cost. We'll get there, it's fine. And, and we sort of giggled at my ridiculous idea. And Steve said, this is a lilies of the field sort of a girl. <laughs> and I am a lilies of the field sort of the girl because... Over the course of my life, I've seen God provide. I've seen situations that I thought made no sense, and he's provided and provided. So I'm not a blind, a blithingly daft, well, maybe I am, lilies of the fields sort of girl. I am convinced through lived experience that again and again and again, when we follow the nudge of the Spirit, he provides. And at the moment in our community, we're hanging on to that beautiful prophetic word that Dave mentioned last week. If you go after the poor, I will give you the rich. If you go after the poor, I will give you the rich. So we don't need to worry about funding the immense piece of work that needs done in this building. We need to follow the nudges and step by step serve the poor and the broken and the vulnerable and get to see where God is at work in the margins because that's where he's at work these days. He's not at work in the middle class and the privileged. He's at work in the margins and we need to get alongside it and get into the margins. And the other thing I wanted to say was that I realized that my own relationship with giving has changed over the years. Our household's relationship with giving has changed over the years. And I wanted to be open and, and honest about that. Um, I was brought up Presbyterian. There was the blue book and it, you could see what everybody gave. There was something rather lovely about it, actually. But it was, that was how it was. And, and then we went through a period. I've lived through the prosperity gospel where I thought... <laughs> You know, it's all about me and my blessing and my value and what I will get. I've lived through that. I've lived through tithing through a legalistic idea. I've lived through tithing as a way of getting more, enlightened self-interest, thinking if I give, I'm going to get more. 
And where I humbly stand and our household stands today is that we tithe because it's a heart decision. And it's a heart decision that says, I trust you and your goodness enough that I will give away right at the beginning. And so I also wanted to say that over the course of our lives, we've questioned what communities have done with money. We've held judgment on that. We've had views on that. And I wanted to be very clear that we as a community, we give 10% of everything you give into, straight into a justice fund. So whilst we believe in tithing, we also practice it with the money that you give us. So out of our justice fund, Farmbox has been running faithfully for years and years and years. We also have a, a, a pot that's called the common good and we have a pot that's called Crisis Fund. So we believe that as a community, if someone in the community, which you will never know about, but if someone is in crisis, we bless them financially. And that is the right thing to do, because we are a family. So I want you to be very clear that we give 10%. This SLT and directors are currently doing a whole review. That's not for me to speak to now. That's for the directors to present but we hope to increase it as an act of faith because living abundantly and giving away abundantly is an act of faith. Okay. Behind you, I remember hearing, you know, 60% of the world lives on $2 a day. And that actually is very meaningless information. I want to look at, because in some parts of the world, $2 a day would buy you lots. But if you go on to World Data Info, which I think the web, yeah, the website's up there, it, looks, it's, it does a thing called the Atlas Index. So we're talking about the rich young ruler, and sometimes we can think, well, that's just for really wealthy people. But we need to get real about how privileged we are in the light of a global community. So if you look at this, there's the average income in US dollars. Monaco, interestingly, Ireland is above the US, and which I thought was quite interesting in terms of average income. So what they do is they take the gross national income and they match it with the population. So we live on average on $44,000 a year. The poorest country that was listed is Afghanistan and they live on 390 a year. That is startling. That is totally startling. And I suppose those lower, it says when they analyzed this piece of work, um, and it was very interesting reading about average incomes and quality of life, those lower down the list have unstable political and economic conditions. And so I wonder when you read these stories about a rich young ruler, you think, well, that's not really relevant to me, but in a global sense. If we are the people of God and we see the world as our community, we are very, very rich and we have responsibility. So finally, now we're going to read the passage. It'll come up behind me in Luke 18, 18 to 30. I'm reading it from the message today. One day, one of the local officials asked him, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't you? No illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and mother. He said, I've kept them all for as long as I can remember. 
When Jesus heard that, he said, then there's only one thing left to do. Sell everything you own and give it away to the poor. You will have riches in heaven, then come follow me. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. Seeing his reaction, Jesus said to him, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? I'd say it's easier to thread a camel through the needle's eye than get a rich person into God's kingdom. Then who has any chance at all, the others asked. No chance at all, Jesus said. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Peter tried to regain some initiative. We left everything we owned and we followed you, didn't we? Yes, said Jesus, and you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, spouse, brothers and sisters, parents, children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back multiplied many times over in your lifetime. And then the bonus of eternal life. And so in this passage, Jesus is always pointing back to the Father. Who's good? Only God. Always pointing back to the Father. And he's saying to this rich young ruler, come, sell it all and follow me and deny yourself. This story is found in three of the Gospels. He's a young man, we don't know if he's royalty or we don't know if he's politics, but he's powerful and he has great, great wealth. And Jesus speaks directly to his heart. His economic self-interest was the biggest obstacle to the ways of the kingdom. So Luke references the the, um, commandments and he leaves out the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. In the other Gospels, they do mention all ten commandments. And and Luke, I think, is wanting to remind us, Jesus knows you and he goes to your heart. So the very last commandment, you shall not covet, is the one that is really relevant to this guy. And Jesus uses that at the end. He says, I want you to sell it all and to follow me. And a very... uh, an interesting sort of visual that he uses is there was a narrow gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And when the camels came really laden down with all their produce and their wares and where their money was, in order to get through this gate and into the city to sell the produce, they had to set them all down. So Jesus gives that beautiful image that for you to get into the kingdom of heaven, you have to lay it all down. You have to be that camel getting in the eye of the needle. I remember as a kid sitting in church thinking, camel in the eye of the needle? Wow, that was weird and cool. But it was actually about, it was a brilliant visual of that culture at that time. This very narrow gate and you've got to take everything off and lay it down. This guy was being asked, he was being reminded, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in the stories that Luke tells us throughout this gospel, he is expecting us to be totally transformed by our encounters with Jesus. Jesus is highlighting this guy's self-reliance. He is highlighting his love of wealth and prosperity and saying, that's going to make it really hard for you to follow me. That is going to make it almost impossible. 
you're going to have to lay it down. And it's not because Jesus was anti-wealth. Think of the wedding at Cana. Everybody's had loads to drink. It's later on in the evening, and he suddenly brings out the best wine. He lets a woman leave what's considered to be a year's salary worth of perfume all over his feet. It wasn't that wealth is wrong. And we need to remember that being successful and wealthy and and blessed is not wrong. It's what we do with it. And it's our heart attitude. So we don't, it's not, I don't think what Jesus is saying is you've got to sell everything and live with the poor. He's saying, get your heart right. Get your priorities right. Get your heart right. Go back to that question that I asked last week. Is Jesus worth it? (laughs) That image of Dan on the jerry cans. Is Jesus worth it? And if he is, then you will live in a very different way with your wealth. You don't need to lose it. We talked last week. It'll come up behind me. Jesus demonstrated that the world is filled with abundance and freighted with generosity. If bread is broken and shared, there is enough for all. Jesus is engaged in the sacramental subversive reordering of our public realities. And what what has been happening is that God has created a world, as we talked about last week, a world of great abundance. There is enough for us all if we simply share. The liturgy of abundance is the story of God right through scripture. It is nothing new. There was enough in Eden. There was to be enough for all of us. The problem is that we've got greedy and we don't share. The myth of scarcity that is the myth of this age that we all choose to live under at many, many times. We are always seeking more. We are always seeking more. We think there's never going to be enough and we always want more. We are not satisfied with what we have or what we have been given. Jesus is inviting us to live out of his abundance and to care for one another and for the world. So this is an environmental issue as well as a people issue. I want to reference, it'll come up on our website but there's a brilliant paper done by Tearfund, the theologians at Tearfund, called The Abundant Community Theology. I would really recommend you read it, and the link to it will be in the podcast notes as well as on our website. And it, it, it is a, it's a great read. There's some very challenging and powerful quotes from um, Africans talking about charity and about how we view it and whether we actually see each other as brothers and sisters and we live with a a world mindset. And so what this paper is telling us is that the planet and communities are destroyed and are impoverished by our scarcity mindset and our individualism. And we need a completely new anthropology. We need to find a way of living in this world that looks at our economy with grace and generosity. And not just our economy, but a worldwide economy. And the overarching belief has got to be of abundance. Theology, we have to think about what we have can be freely distributed without diminishing us, our status, or our well-being. And that is very challenging indeed. In parts of the, what is known as the global south, they have got it much better than us. Ubuntu is a belief in many, many African countries. I am because we are. 
I am because we are. And Ubuntu implies that one increases their fortune by sharing with others and enhancing the whole community. So it is a totally different mindset from our scarcity mindset of individualism. It is thinking we all do better when we all work together and we share our resources and we care for the environment that we live in and the world that we live in and we pull one another together. So I do better when we're all doing better. That is transformative theology. That is a transformative mindset. And that is what we are invited in when we are followers of Jesus. It is an act of faith to live out of the narrative of abundance instead of the fear of scarcity. And I wonder how many of us choose to live out of the narrative of abundance. One thing that I think is really important to do when you're thinking about this question, and it's a good question, do I live out of the narrative of abundance or do I live out of the myth of scarcity? And that has to do with our hearts, our time, our money, what we do, who we spend our days with. And it's really important to think, how did I grow up? What was my relationship with money? What was our family narrative about money? What was the narrative about maybe in faith communities that you've had to work your way through and find your own way? <laughs> maybe you have to let things down, forgive, move on. Maybe to find a different way. I think it is deeply challenging. And I think in these days, if I think about this community and I think about the faithful work that has happened for years and years in Farmbox, serving folks on the margins. And we've got new initiatives, we've got stay and play, we've got the long table. The opportunities are many. I could talk from now until tea time about where we could go with all of these things. But it actually starts with our hearts. Because otherwise it's charity, or it's a little bit patronizing, or it's thinking we're better. It starts with our hearts knowing the abundant love of God for myself changes how I want to live from Monday to Saturday as well as what I do on Sunday. So just as we come to the table, we talked last week about how Jesus was the kind of cruciform idea of abundant love and generosity in that he came and he gave of his body. And just as, as the guys come up to start playing, I want, to, I want us to listen to a poem that Brueggemann wrote, inviting us to think about this idea of scarcity or abundance. So I'm going to read this poem, and it's on the idea of generosity. Because sometimes we have to be a little bit challenged, and sometimes we have to rethink what we do. And sometimes the Lord is saying to us, am I worth it? Am I worth it? And if I am worth it, what are you going to do differently tomorrow? So I'd like to invite you, just as I read you this poem, perhaps close your eyes if you're comfortable to do that, and just listen to these words. And then I'd like us, while the band just plays for a moment, to sit and think, where do I sit? Where is my mindset? Am I living out of the fear of scarcity, that there's never enough? Or am I living free, knowing that I am generously and abundantly loved 
and out of that place I can love the world and the people around me. So this is what Brueggemann wrote. On our own we conclude there is not enough to go around. We are always going to run short of money, of love, of grades, of publications, of sex, of beer, of members, of years, of life. We should seize the day, seize our goods, seize our neighbor's goods because there is not enough to go round. And in the midst of our perceived deficit, you come. You come giving bread in the wilderness. You come giving children at the 11th hour. You come giving homes to the exiles. You come giving futures to the shut down. You come giving Easter joy to the dead. You come fleshed in Jesus. And we watch while the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor dance and sing. We watch and we take food we did not grow and life we did not invent and future that is gift and gift and gift and families and neighbourhoods, neighbours who sustain us when we did not deserve it. It dawns on us late rather than soon that you give food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. By your giving, break our cycles of imagined scarcity. Override our presumed deficits. Quiet our anxieties of lack. Transform our perpetual field to see the abundance. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Sink your generosity deep into our lives that your muchness may expose our false lack. That endlessly receiving we may endlessly give so that the world may be made Easter new without greedy lack but only wonder, without coercive need but only love, without destructive greed but only praise, without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new, all around us, towards us and by us, all things Easter new. Finish your creation in wonder, in love and in praise. Amen.